Hi, welcome to episode eight of The Noisy Golfer. Um, you're here with Jade and Paul. Um, and we've got a fantastic guest with us today um, for episode eight. And um, for, for those of you that have just joined the channel or started watching our content, don't forget to like and subscribe. And also a big thank you to our sponsors, Abcon Consultancy, our media and marketing partner as well. We're absolutely delighted to have with us uh, the co-founder um, of Modest Golf, Mark McDonald. How are you, Mark? You okay? Yeah, good. Thank you for the lovely intro. Fantastic. Well, thank thank you for joining us. Um, obviously, just off off air, then just before we talked, we we wanted to to give a bit of an overview in terms of um, you, you know your involvement into golf, your entry into golf, your modest golf as well. Um, but yeah, so much to talk about. But for those of you that aren't aware of modest golf and yourself, um, if you could just sort of help give us an introduction to yourself, your entry into golf, and we can we can go from there. Sure. Yeah. So modest golf was founded in two thousand fifteen by myself and. Uh, my business partner, uh, Nala Horn, who uh, is a little bit more well-known than myself, obviously being in <laughs> one of the, the biggest boy bands in the world. Um, Nile really has been a, well, we both have been huge golf fans for a number of years. I've got um, sort of 18 years experience in the industry. nile has been a massive uh, fan from afar for a good few years. And in 2015, he just felt that he wanted to um, really try and make a difference, um, set up an agency to support young players coming through, but also to, to try and do it our way a little bit and um, put our spin on it, which is obviously to to try and break down some of the barriers in, in the sport as well, which is something we do alongside our player representation and something we, we, we take an, an enormous amount of uh, pride in. And, and with regards to, um, I mean, one of the, the, the topics that we discussed before was uh, was barriers into golf. It's a subject that we've covered recently following a, a podcast with, with with Ali Perks that was gave us fascinating insight. What can you tell us more about what Modest are doing in terms of the barriers um, within sports and golf? What specifically are those barriers and, and what action are you helping to, you know, to, to sort of facilitate and over, you know, breaking those barriers, so to speak? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to note. Obviously, you know, we're we're flying the flag for that movement, but the movement doesn't happen just because of modest golf or one sure. particular party. You know, it, it's a number of different people, stakeholders within the industry, uh, to make that happen. So we we try and do our bit, and and hopefully we're we're having an impact, and we we feel we we are. But it, it takes a number of different, obviously, people to make that happen. Um. Obviously, the the, the barriers you know really is perception for me you know it's always been perceived as quite a stuffy sport for old men um you know and you you're seeing now through some of the profiles across the world who play this sport uh, from all different backgrounds all different cultures that it, it really is a sport for everybody it's just about making it accessible for those people um and trying to um create ways of people um, accessing the sport who maybe don't come from a wealthy background or, or what have you, which is is achievable and, and many different sort of people within the industry are now trying to do that. So for me, there are a, a few sort of perceptions and barriers in the way, but um, hopefully ourselves and a number of different people are, are trying to do our bit to, to break those down. Yeah, I just to back up a little bit on that, um, you started off with obviously your intro into golf. So how old were you? Who introduced you to golf? And um, was there anything that kind of prevented you from playing or was it just, yes, you could go, you could play on the range, play on the course and 
it was all accessible? Yeah, so for, for me, yeah. I, I, yes, it was accessible. I was very fortunate. You know, my father introduced myself and my brother when we were sort of six, seven years old. Uh, we joined a local golf course. Obviously, at the time, it, it was, you know, not too expensive to join. Yes, clubs and what have you come at a cost as well. Um, but yeah, my father was the one who introduced uh, myself and my brother. And we've actually both gone on to have careers in the sport since um, sort of 16, 17 years old. My brother worked for another agency. We grew up with Justin Rose. He, he um, is involved with his management setup um, with Justin and a number of other European golfers. So ours was quite a seamless introduction. But then, you know, one of our clients, Mia Baker, um, who you may follow, massive following online now sort of 70,000 people follow Mia's story she went into a local golf shop in London to start the game and there was no women's clothing and so she contacted the CEO of that particular company who um, loved her sort of her drive and um, her ambition to try and make a difference and and now they stock um clothing in a number of their stores and, and me has documented that journey so you know everyone's got their own sort of story and how i guess they find the game the likes of tiger woods and what have you inspire many many people from certainly my my era um to play the game but um i just think it's it's so important to note now that it isn't a sport which um is played by old uh males now it's it's played by lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds no, absolutely. I think I think um, in the journey that I've gone with Isaac, because Isaac's, uh, Isaac's eight now and he, he absolutely loves the game. And he started just before he was six. Um, and there's a couple of uh, group coaching sessions that we've taken him to now. And initially it was obviously, as you can imagine, male dominated. Um, but as we've gone to different locations, it's great to see there's such a growing female participation in that as well. And some extremely talented golfers. Um, it would be really good to get your take on... I think this subject, because we've had another podcast recently with Andy Little, who you may know, who's the founder of Little Golfers in Surrey. And yeah. one of the things that we discussed was how early children are given access to golf. Um, you've your, your story there is very similar to my own and very similar to a lot of people, whereby your yeah. father started, your father played golf. And, and Isaac's school now, I'm pretty certain, we mentioned this recently with Ellie, is that Isaac pretty certain he's the only boy that play, well the only child that plays golf there and if it isn't for the parents who is is aware of golf or plays the likelihood is they don't find golf till a later age and it is something that we're looking to really explore because we feel that you know we know that when a kid picks up a club and hits that ball for the first time that it, there's just something about golf that lures you in um, and yeah. and we're, we're trying to sort of work out ways where we can help facilitate that growth on a more junior level as well. So your, your experience personally was obviously in, you were introduced to golf through your father. And one of the things that as a brand we're looking to explore is, is how we can introduce golf into schools for those at a much earlier age, because we, we know golf has that power that when people start playing, it's just, you know, it's an, it's an addictive thing at any age. So we were just keen to yeah. learn a little bit, you know, you know, your own experience and view on, um, on, on potentially how golf can be introduced to, you know, you know, two people younger, really. Yeah, sure. And, you know, it's never lost on me that I had quite an easy route into golf because my father, my father played. Um, however, you know, for me, you are competing against bigger sports like football yeah. and netball for, you know, guys and girls when they, they go into school. Um, but for me, the interesting thing about golf is what it offers as yes, exercise and, and what have you, but, 
it offers so much more. Um, you know, football, you tend to, to finish playing at a younger age where golf, you can play up until your 80s and 90s. Um, and also it's it, what golf teaches you, the etiquette, um, you know, meeting different people, playing with older people, younger people, people from different backgrounds. It, it teaches you so many life lessons, which you then can take on into business, you know, when sure. you, you finish college or or school. Um, and it's a really interesting point. You know, we obviously work uh, closely with the RNA. Um, yeah. The RNA have got a massive drive towards this exact topic about yeah. getting more people into the game from a younger age, um, you know, knocking down those barriers, which we, we've discussed and, and really understanding, you know, how, how to get more people into the game. And I think that's a number of different ways of doing that, greater accessibility, more sort of um, maybe non-golfers as ambassadors, you know, yeah. the, my, yeah, the likes of Niall Horan, the likes of Gareth Bale, the likes of Justin Bieber. Yeah, these are all people who who aren't in the, who don't play golf professionally, but they they love the game. They talk about the game, and they have massive reach. Yeah, yeah. People who aren't from a golfing background, and I think people like those will play a massive part in in trying to encourage more people into the game. Yeah. No, absolutely. Sorry, we've lost you. You're back. Yeah. It's, just, it's just come <laughs> just back. lost you again a little bit there. That's fine. <laughs> Have you got anything to add to that particular subject? No, I mean, from my point of view, um, as a female going onto a golf course, you've already previously mentioned there's that kind of male stuffiness. I went with Isaac for the first time to actually caddy for him the other day. Um, big thing. I was like, oh, do I really want to do that? But I did it. I let him go. He can obviously show me around the course. He's been my dad often enough. Um, there was actually somebody there that asked me if I needed help. Was I okay? And I think there's still that attitude there, isn't there? There is still that that male-dominated environment. Um, like you said, there's more females that are coming through um, and more females that are obviously being seen there with kids as well. Um, I think, how do you think golf courses could be more welcoming to to women um you know to even to mums with kids do you think that there's anything that they they can be doing to improve that uh yeah i mean the, the short answer is is yes it's obviously you know I, I know there are a number of courses doing a lot of great work now to encourage you know mums and their, their children and, and what have you but yes absolutely more needs to be done collectively i think across the board um, you know, I know uh, for me, your likes of, you know, your American golfs and your top golfs who really create a fun environment um, is, a, is a, a, they're really key to introduce people because those sorts of environments are very informal, dress codes are very informal, um, and there's definitely a massive fun factor in, in that kind of way of accessing golf courses, yeah, of course. Um, you know, a lot of them are members clubs and, and what have you. So there's definitely work to, to do on that. You know, I know some golf courses offer particularly more particular mornings where, you know, uh, young kids can come and and certain times during the, the, the week and what have you. But yeah, I think obviously collectively more, more can be done. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of um, 
clubs and and the industry is waking up to that and i definitely think more is being done but yeah of course i think you know your experience which maybe was okay but you know i think that boils down to education doesn't it, it it's about getting more people understanding that the more people who play this game you know will only be a good thing for everybody involved in it because yeah. it brings more money into the sport which means that um, you know clubs prosper, uh, shops prosper, manufacturers prosper, everybody prospers. Which means that more money can be put into the game to to, to grow it and um, to to increase the uh, participation in the the wonderful game. Yeah, interesting what you're saying about kind of growing it there and um, you know everybody kind of prospering from it. From our chat with Ellie Perks a couple of days ago, Ellie was saying the same thing, um, but we were talking more about the accessibility of the clubs. So we were looking at, you know, as a junior golfer who maybe has a, a disability or, you know, kind of a hidden illness or anything like that, how accessible are these golf clubs? And Ellie was saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of work to be done to make them accessible. Currently, as far as we know, there's no kind of criteria to say, well, okay, you can be an inclusive golf club if you tick all of these boxes, you know, so things that we talked about were things such as, well, there's accessible toilets on the ground floor, there might be um, paths for buggies, um, for people who might not be able to walk too far, things like that. Uh, Ellie went as far as you can say in um, bunkers and accessibility, accessibility into bunkers and things. So all of these things we were talking about and we were saying, you know, well, should there be this criteria which makes a golf club an inclusive environment you know for everybody particularly for people with with um hidden disabilities or you know general disabilities um to be able to go somewhere and feel comfortable from our point of view we're very much about junior golf so what we're saying is well what about those juniors that come in through they might be six or seven you know like yourself um they might get to the golf club and all of a sudden somebody's like oh no i don't know how to coach you so um, I'm just going to leave you to it. And then it's that feeling that they, they then get, you know, of, well, is this the right environment for me? Or they might have a particular need and that need isn't being met by that club. So it puts them off. So we were talking, weren't we, about should there be this kind of criteria really, which says, well, when you get in touch with that golf club, they're meeting X, Y, and Z needs to make sure that when you get there as a junior, that your your needs are being met. I mean, the, probably the, need the, to edit this a little bit. No, no, no. I know where I'm going with it, no, but no, a little the, bit last. The, yeah. the other thing in addition to that that we were talking about, we, which we thought was a bit of an eye opener, was was disabled representation within our organisations. So, so one of the, one of the things that you've mentioned there was with the RNA, and, and we spoke with Ellie, who's got a very good relationship with England Golf, and arguably there seems to be a desire to want to take things forward, but also because there isn't necessarily that knowledge from personal experience within those organizations, what's truly understood in terms of what can be done for disabled golfers. So if they're not represented within these organizations, how can they ultimately fulfill those needs that, you know, fulfill those changes, so to speak? Yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> sure. I mean, just on the disability front, I think um, that's a really interesting point. Um, I think, where we are now versus two years ago, they've made great progress, you know, in terms of 
Uh, there's disability events now on the European tour. So the European yeah. tour are, are showing more on their social channels of, of it. They're covering it more. And obviously, you know, for me, what's missing or what was missing was a platform, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now they've got that platform. It's about creating that momentum and encouraging more uh, young people and more people of all backgrounds um, with disabilities or learning difficulties or whatever that may be to, to come into the sport. And at that point, I think when you get that um, more demand, that's when, you know, you can speak to golf courses about investing more because it is yeah. at a cost yeah. to, you know, for whatever that, that needs, whether it be, you know, things uh, from a bunker or in, in the course and what have you. So it's kind of like, um, a hand-in-hand approach I think but we yeah. are definitely the industry is making strides no doubt about it we obviously signed uh, Brendan Lawler um, a couple of years ago Brendan Lawler went to, to world number one in the disability rankings over the summer when I first met Brendan um, in 2016 he worked for his dad full-time uh, he had no real uh, he had an amazing talent for golf but he didn't have any direction at all and it was down to the work of the Keith Pellies and and uh, what have you of the European tour to create this disability tour, which suddenly yeah. gave him something to, to get his teeth into. Off the back of that, Adidas Golf now sponsor him. He works with TaylorMade. He works yeah. with ISPS Handa. And it's his full-time job now. And, you know, Brendan sees his job as two things. One, to be a professional golfer. Yeah. Um, and he's very fortunate. He's treated on tour like every other golfer out there. He yeah. is treated as an equal, but also as an ambassador and a trailblazer for yeah. disability golf. And we've seen from Brendan having a profile, being covered on the European tour channels, that he now has a voice. And many people do contact him via social media to say, you know, I've got this issue or, or that issue, never thought about golf. Thank you. You're inspiring. How do I get into it? So I think definitely... Those heroes, if you like, the Ellies and the Brendans are showing other people, wow, I, I really can do this. And I think off yeah. the back of that, then absolutely, I do think Europe, the RNA who are doing a lot of work behind the scenes, European tour, I think they will look for more ways of, of um, making it more accessible. And I think at that point, that's when you'll see the golf clubs and what really reinvesting in, in, sure. in whatever is needed to... to, to host those those um that that sector of of people and golfer no no absolutely i think the, one of the other topics on that because it's something that you sort of you, you you um you briefly mentioned um i wasn't actually going to ask this originally as part of this podcast but it came up on twitter and i think it's with somebody with your experience it would be great to get your insight into it there was a tweet that came out from a fairly high profile ladies golfer forgive me i can't remember who it was and it talked about the disparity of um, the year-long season earnings between the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. Um, you're talking about probably two, three, four hundred percent difference from, you know, from the, the basically the top fifty ranked players. You know, if you're around top fifty, and I think on the LPGA, you might have done about hundred, hundred and twenty thousand dollars, which after tax and expenses, as you'll know, is not a hugely significant amount for being that good at your at your own sport. What do you feel um, are the main challenges with, um, I suppose, relinquishing that disparity between um, ladies' golf versus um, men's golf? 
Um, yeah, that's that's quite a meaty meaty question. With to it, um, I think if I were to summarise, um, I love the saying, you know, if you can't see it, you, you can't be it. Mm. Um, and I think that's for me how I would summarise women's golf in in the sense that um, it's platform. You know, there are so many immensely immensely talented females playing the game, um, but the issue has been. Um, for them to be seen and if they sure. can't be seen then sponsors would not why would sponsors be interested in something which um they can't get um profile and, sure. and spotlight on i mean obviously as, as well as that how can little girls aspire to be the next you know next olivia cowan or the next yeah. meg mclaren or the next annabelle dimmock you know just to name a few if they can't see these girls on the television um, regarding the ladies european tour i think um, they've done an amazing job this last couple of years. They've added more events. Um, they continue to add more events. Um, I think um, events like the one we we run, the World Invitational in, in Northern yeah. Ireland, which is a, a co-sanctioned male and female event with the same prize money. Um, hopefully that um, helps to put these girls on a profile. So it's definitely gathering momentum. I think the industry has woken up that yeah. they need to do more to support women in sport and women in golf specifically. Uh, it's not an overnight thing, sure. um, but definitely you can see there's a real momentum there and you can see the likes of Justin Rose, who did the, the Rose ladies golf series, which, yeah. um, you know, I've kind of uh, been quite close to, to that with my brother being sort of tournament director to that. Um, you can really see some of the girls got additional sponsorship off the back of, that series because they were put in um, the spotlight more. So it's it's definitely, there's definitely momentum. There's definitely more sponsors understanding they have a, a responsibility. Sure. But is the LET going to catch up with the LPGA overnight? The answer is no. But those two bodies now are working a lot closer together. The LPGA are, are supporting the LET among, across a number of different um, areas. And I think... Um, I would actually flip that uh, regarding the tweet. I, I obviously didn't see it, but I would actually flip it to say, I think there's never been as exciting time to be a female in golf. Um, yeah. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And, and yeah. certainly if I had a, a daughter who was 10 or 11 who loved golf, I'd be so excited about what the potential future holds because you can be a female now and playing golf and have a career. And um, I think that's that's really, really exciting and, and well, well overdue. No, absolutely. I, th I think when you look at the, certainly from a football perspective and that, you know, Sky Sports are now starting to, you know, to show more, you know, that Women's Super League um, and there's a, there's a genuine interest. And I suppose through social media, the players themselves have been able to build their own brands, which in itself brings itself a new audience. So, so with that in mind, you know, I think... Um, I think it's a really, really good, uh, really good topic of conversation to, to to talk about. The other thing I would just slightly say, <clears throat> I just wanted to question just one thing that you say was that about the LET and the Europeans are working together. Do you think there's a legacy of where perhaps they've worked in silos too much, and should they have been more sort of um, affiliated together, so to speak? Um, I just think it's the world is changing, right? Yeah. And I think um, we're all not just in sport, but in so many different areas of life, we're understanding and we're being educated more on how other people 
feel and and react to, to situations right across you know you see it every day now in the media and I just feel like sport is really understanding the role it plays in society and that is that everybody <laughs> plays sport or watches sports we all consume sport to, to some degree in some way in our in our everyday life and I, I just think we we've just understood that there's a greater responsibility now to create an equal platform and yeah. and that's what it boils down to and you know yeah for me it is it's positive you know um i would certainly not now sort of complain i think you know you look at tailor made golf you look at adidas golf every advertising campaign they're doing now they're including you know females as well as males they're including yeah, yeah. you know all their ambassadors that's a that's a big big step you know you've got bigger companies now trying to do more and for me it's a pyramid of influence you know for the, the big powerful people at the top can do more then that will filter down and and inspire hopefully um a lot more people to to step up and and do their bit and and like i said at the start of the the, the this conversation it's it's a collective effort it's a collective drive and it's a movement and i think yeah. it's an exciting movement and it's happening um but yeah in in terms of the past i think you know we could look back at 10 12 15 years on on so many different areas and say oh we could have done this and we should have done that in the benefit of the hindsight i think the here and now is that these bodies these powerful bodies with the biggest voices in golf are now trying to, to do more can they yeah, do more yeah. probably yes we we all probably could but they're definitely now driving and striving to make bigger changes so it's it's exciting and, and i know that firsthand from the work i do with the rna with adidas golf with TaylorMade. every every conversation is about you know how we can do more which is which is encouraging to see no absolutely some some great comments there do you have anything to add to that no just that i mean like you said you know 10 or 15 years ago yes technically it should have happened yesterday but the positive that we're taking away is that it is happening and it is moving forward so we're kind of we're on the right path but it just needs to move a little bit quicker yeah, um, yeah. absolutely just interestingly in talking more specifically about modest golf um, and i think it would be good for junior golfers that, that are watching and um, you know to, to help understand as well and also parents i suppose is when you look at to represent a player, obviously you've got a, you know, you've got Brendan Lawler, you've got Tyrrell Hatton, um, you've got a number of female, high profile female golfers as well. What do you particularly look for? Is it, and how does the conversation work? Do you go and seek out the players that you choose to represent or can it work the other way? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Um, we look for so much more than just talent and scores, yeah. um, you know, sort of attitude, work ethic, um, ambition, you know, those are all the things you, you, you take into consideration. Um, the amazing thing is now there is so much talent in the game and so much depth. Um, you know, we'd love to represent so many more, but we're a boutique business and we really focus on um, sort of one-to-one -one management. So we never okay. want to have sort of 50 players on our, our books. Um, but yeah, we, we look for a number of different things. Uh, we, we do go out and scout, but also you take Pia Babnik, for example, who we signed last week, Slovenian 17-year-old golfer who got her tour card at 16 years old. It's impossible to, to miss some someone like that, right? Absolutely. So, um, 
just a combination of both. Um, but for me, if I was a sort of a young player wanting to play professionally, um, it would be about obviously focusing on, um, you know, performing well, uh, representing yourself well uh, on and off the course. And then sort of companies will find you and will want to have conversations with you. But I also think it's important to, to, to note that sadly, not everybody will make it as a professional but the industry as a whole is such an exciting industry to be a part of. There are so many amazing avenues, whether it be kids coaching, you know, there's lots of um, coaches you see now, young coaches who are, you know, sort of uh, going into junior teaching and setting up junior tours and, and all that kind of um, stuff now. So it's, it's a really exciting opportunity to be in the industry, whether you make it as a professional or whether you choose a, another avenue. Yeah, super. And, and what, what are the plans then for the next, obviously you've, you set up in 2015, uh, it was just over six years ago. How, how would you map out the future of, of modest golf over the say next 12 months to, to five years? What, what are the plans and ambitions of your, of your sure. organization? Yeah, yeah, I think first and foremost, it's to to sign and continue to sign uh, amazing talent. Uh, we are so proud of every one of our 15 clients and they're all on their own sort of journeys in the game, but they're all achieving great things and they represent themselves and modest and their, their teams um, impeccably. Um, but away from that, it's it's more uh, to to continue to it's continued to really understand and recognize that we have a responsibility. You know, we have a good voice in golf. Nile has a, as an amazing voice in golf with a, a reach of 60 million people. Um, Just a few. <laughs> no, it's kind of though, part of me always thinks, should it be about the reach? Should it be about how big your social profile is? You know, is that really what you should be focusing on when technically you're focusing on your sport and, I that think, change should come quite naturally. I, think, I don't know. I I'm just helps. a bit. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I remember you what, see all of these kids with these Instagram accounts and all of these followers and things, and you're like, well, really, is that them? Is it their parents pushing it? What is it? Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I, I think, don't think it's about followers. I don't, that that's my take on it anyway. It, yeah, I think I think it certainly helps. I think one of the things that was interesting because in advance of this, we watched. Uh, you mentioned Mia Mia Baker before. Um, we watched an interview with Mia and Niall. And Niall was talking particularly about how he sees a lot of his followers who are actually now engaging in golf. Um, and I, I suppose there's a stereotype in terms of the types of followers that somebody like Niall would have. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it, it sounds like that he's able to contribute to what is essentially a growing area in the sport of golf. Well, I think, you know, it's a numbers game. And if, um, if you have a reach of 10 million and you tap into 10%, of that audience who are listening to what you're talking about, that's still a million people, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for me, you know, social media isn't going away. You know, it's only going to get bigger. Instagram's massive and then TikTok explodes and, and what have you. So for me, you have to embrace it. And I think as long as people are on those platforms and, and, projecting a positive message we, we all see on a daily basis some of the negativity around social media yeah. and what have you which is um you know obviously concerning and and those sort of people you know the people involved in social media need to obviously to do more and take a great accountability 
um, to make sure it's a positive platform. But I think in the space of golf, I think if if young kids are are on those platforms, which which most of them are now, if we can use that as a as a positive platform to encourage and inspire, I think it it's great. And look, I'm not I'm certainly not saying Niles um, the 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 answer to growing the game of golf. It's a number of different people, but I think sure. people with large followings with um, with followers who who do listen to what they say and do respect what they say i think that's a that's a that's an amazing thing and uh, i think it's really exciting for these non golfers with large followings to talk about the game online because if if 10% of those just go and pick up a club and if if 5% of that 10% then go and and keep playing yeah. we've got we've got a, a new blood of, of people coming coming through the game yeah no absolutely i think what was interesting there at the end the way you wrap that up is is keep playing the game because I think it's one thing to to introduce, make that introduction, but but sustaining that involvement, I think, is obviously another is another element as well. Um, and one of the things that, again, you know, we're we're learning more about as we've entered the golf community, you know, following our launch last year, is uh, we we did a podcast recently with Michelle Holmes, a very prominent uh, golf coach in the US, and she said that she can often coach kids from around six years old, but with parent pressure especially in the, the American culture when they're looking for, you know, collegiate um, collegiate sports entry and things like that, is that they can often lose interest by 13 and 14. And that's something that we've started to, to I suppose as a father, I've taken, a, um, it's opened my eyes really, to because ultimately I want Isaac to have, and Leo, who's two, who already showed an interest in golf, is to, is to take the steps to one, enjoy that game. But I think it's much more about long-term investment in that as opposed to you know just a quick fix maybe might play it for six months dust off the clubs and they might not be seen again for um you know for dust after that yeah look i think that's um that could be sort of applied to every sport right yeah. in terms of um you know young people wanting to to make it um i think that um first and foremost we want people to enjoy the the sport right and and get hooked on it and from men, momentum builds and you're in the industry then and, and whether you play it recreationally um, and go off into to business after education or yeah. and just play it for a sport and a passion or if you enter the industry in another capacity or you make it and you go in with majors, you know, there's so many different routes to take. Um, I think now that you're right, the hook is, is what's it's most important anyone can go once to a driving range is how you keep coming back and i do yeah. think as i mentioned with the likes of your american golf resort facilities now top golf foot golf um you know playing golf with the bigger heads to make it easier to start all those sorts of um all those sorts of different ways of, of keeping kids interested is 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 great and, and hopefully those areas continue to grow and then obviously, you know, keep those people in the game and they bring their friends and it snowballs from there, right? So yeah. look, you know, um, it, it, it's never going to be something we can click our fingers and, and change overnight. But I think um, for all the devastation that COVID-19 and the pandemic caused, caused, it definitely, in terms of the game of golf, it spiked the industry. Yeah. And yeah. Every, um, every retailer, and every golf course is reporting more and more people are playing golf. I think, you know, you can play outdoors. It's um, exercise. 
it's meeting people from a safe distance, all those things tick the boxes of when we really needed to be careful of how we conducted ourselves during the pandemic, um, at the height of the pandemic. So, you, you know, if we can continue to retain those people who, who found those old sets at the back of their shed and, and restarted to play, along with creating and continuing to drive these younger people into the game, I think golf is in a, in a, in a healthy spot moving into the future and, and it's getting better, right? And uh, rewind five, 10 years, it, it wasn't in a great spot and it probably wasn't doing enough to encourage younger people. But definitely now yeah. I think we have turned a corner and long may that continue and, and, and long may people who are talking with talk walk the walk and, that, and that's what we need, right? Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think we've covered so much already. Yeah. One of the questions that they have to ask at this stage, and it, it would be wrong not to, to mention at this stage, is obviously you've mentioned Niall's a, a keen golfer. I think he played, does he play off around five handicaps, something like that? Not quite, nine. Uh, now, oh, is it nine, is it? All oh, right, okay. I have to ask, who's the better golfer, you or Niall? Uh, <laughs> he, he would say me if I leave my over. <laughs> If I leave my mobile phone in my golf bag, it's me. Okay. If I try and work and play golf, he'll beat me every time. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do you get much time to play together? Obviously, I can imagine you're, you know, you're together, obviously working in business partners, but I'd imagine with Niall's commitments, often worlds apart as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been fortunate uh, through through work and our friendship to to play some amazing courses across the, the world. And we create some amazing sort of um, memories playing some of the best. So we, we would play quite a bit. Obviously, you know, he's a musician and, and that's his day job. So when he's recording and, and, and touring, we, we wouldn't get a chance to play as much. But um, yeah, we, we've had some some great times playing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love golf, but his golf obsession is beyond anything I've ever seen before. He he lives, breathes and sleeps golf, you know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he really is a fanatic. It, it sounds like, it, I mean, it's one of those things. Obviously, music's his passion and, you know, how he's, uh, you know, achieved the sort of notoriety that he's got. But it, it's great that he's taken the time to invest in, you know, obviously in this organisation to fuel his passion as well. Um, and like you say, it's good to see that there's a lot of collaboration between, you know, your, your organisation, the likes of RNA, uh, Ladies European Tour, ISPS Handa, Disabled Golf, to, to really help generate that growth. So, you know, obviously congratulations on that. And it sounds like things are, you know, it sounds like you're doing some really amazing things in the game already. Thank you. And 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 yeah, like that, that's down to Nile, obviously. Um, we are a business. We represent talent. We, we, we like to think we represent uh, some of the very best talent but we also have a responsibility and it's really important to now with a big female following yeah to have a flag for the girls um with our, you know we have one event on the european tour and lpga schedule and it's an equal pay event yeah will that happen every week you know i i don't think so but if if more um organizations around the world see that format and and more of those sorts of events pop up that that's brilliant and um setting an example um, and of you know the work we've done with Brendan and, and trying to create um, a bigger platform for disability golfers is something which is important to us. So you know we we you know we are a business. We we represent talent, but we also have a responsibility to give back, yeah. much like you know most of the industry does now to to try and help and support those um, groups of people who who haven't previously got quite the support they needed. 
yeah, yeah. No, I think no, that's absolutely. the important bit that yeah you are trying to make that change and to move things forward so yeah, yeah. I, I think I think on that note that's a that's a really really positive um conclusion to that and again we we, we thank you so much for your time Mark. it's been an absolute absolute pleasure one getting to know you obviously for you to take the time to speak with us as well um and uh and, and yeah so for, for those of you listening and we hope you've enjoyed this podcast this will be on our youtube channel where you're probably watching it already but it is also available to stream on apple podcast google podcast spotify as well as other channels as well if you do have any questions at all um hit make let us know what they are in the comments below um, and do give mark and his colleagues a follow at modest golf and don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so you can hear all the latest content from noisy golf thank you <laughs>